Welcome to Impact for Baptisms in the Spring 2022. Who's excited? Yeah, awesome. You guys, can you thank the band one more time for just an incredible worship set? And keep your applause handy. You can go ahead and sit down, but we're going to keep applauding because here's the deal. We are, I, I just, I, I feel like my engine has been revving since last week, a week ago. You know what I'm saying? When your engine's revving, but you're not moving and you're just so pumped, you kind of get a little overheated. So if I come at you a little bit today, it's because I'm pumped and I'm excited. And here's why. If the tomb is empty, anything is possible. And so from Easter moving forward, we're still an Easter people. We're going to stay an Easter people. And I get to share with you as we celebrate baptisms, just the things that the Lord Jesus himself risen and alive is doing in our midst. Okay. So get ready. Last weekend, we had 2,468 people here with us for Easter. Of, of that enormous number, we had 72 people declare that they were surrendering their lives to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Guys, that's extraordinary. That is the movement of Jesus in our midst. And we get to see it and we get to behold it. And this weekend, as Justice shared just moments ago, we are going to be celebrating baptisms this morning. We had five baptized last night. Incredible. We have five this morning. The stories are amazing. You guys, all five of you, would you please stand where you are? And I just want people to just honor that you're going to be telling your story. So, as you can tell, I'm a little excited, okay? And, uh, and that's how it's going to go. But here's the issue. When we have baptisms and the stories we want to get to, that means I only get about 25 minutes for the story of Scripture before we start that. And you guys know me. For those of you who are visitors and you don't know, my name's Ryan. And I sometimes have trouble staying in the allotted time because I get so excited, right? So... Um, uh, they told me they're going to shut off the notes here in a second if I, if I go too long. So we're going to hope that doesn't happen this morning. I want you to join me in uh, John, book of John, chapter 9. We're going to be looking at a story. And this story is a perfect description as our Lord is interacting in the flesh with people of what it is to see actual transformation happen. The first song we sang this morning as a church is I Speak Jesus. And that's because we're talking, we're talking to our own souls. We're talking to God, we're asking for his help as a church to be people who speak Jesus. It's a language. Amen. Did you know that? Yeah. Speaking Jesus is a language. It's a language of encouragement. It's a language of strengthening. It's a language of his word. It's a language one to another that communicates love and support. Speaking Jesus over those places of darkness changes us. And we get to see that in John chapter 9. I hope I've given you enough time to get out your flat screen and get to the, the ninth chapter of John. Let's go ahead and dive right into the story this morning. It says this, verse 1 says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we're going to actually stop right there in the first verse. Jesus saw. Now, here's the deal, that we can skip right over that, but we can't if you know anything about what Jesus is coming out of. Oh. 
Okay, chapter 8, 9, and 10 of John are chronological. So they move moment by moment. Jesus is actually on the run in this moment. Just a stone's throw away is the temple. He and his guys are moving through a very, very packed, crowded community because it's one of the most uh, significant festivals of the year that's happening at this time. And they are weaving their way away from the temple because they just got in a pretty significant throwdown. You know what I'm saying? Like a row with the religious leaders. It got so bad in this discussion and what Jesus was communicating to the religious leaders. In the last verse of chapter eight, it says Jesus slipped his way through the crowd. He and his guys got out of there by the hair of their chinny chin chin because the religious leaders picked up stones to kill him. So here's what you need to be thinking. When you're in that kind of an amped physiological state, okay? When, When it's fight or flight, when your nerves are up, are you paying any attention to, to, the, to the things around you except for the idea of getting away? Here, here's what I need you to hear, church. Some of you walk in here every weekend. Some of you walk throughout your week and you wonder if anyone sees you and you certainly wonder if you're significant enough for God to see you. He does. That, that Jesus as the incarnate presence of the God who created the entire cosmos and universe. That when he came into our existence, that he took the time in his amped physiological state, when it's fight or flight, when he's about to be killed, just a stone's throw, nope, he stops, he takes note, he sees this man. And this guy is not a guy anybody sees or pays any attention to except to spit on him. This is significant because as a church, we want to replicate Jesus and we want to be a church where we see under the pretend, under the pretense, under the places that people are hiding, the damage, the brokenness. We want to stop and we want to take note just like Jesus did. When we hear stories and we see the way that Jesus is changing lives, we pay attention to those things because we get to contribute and be a part of his redemption in each other's lives. We're going we're gonna to be a church that stops, pays attention, and sees people eyeball to eyeball, what's really underneath there? Because it goes on. The disciples, they see, they stop and they're like, who cares about this guy? Except, oh, that is a curious uh, congenital birth defect that he was blind. Jesus, you know, we, we, should, we should see, this is kind of a theological conundrum. That's not how Jesus sees him. Look at what he says. It says, verse three, neither this man, Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I want you for a second to just enter into what this guy's life would have been. He's blind from birth. He's in a category of people that is utterly helpless and destitute. He cannot marry, he can't have a family, he can't do things that normal people can do. The only way he can provide for himself is to come to this same place 
and beg, which means not only do, does his, do his neighbors see him as yet the blind kid, he's always got that label. And he either did something to sin in utero, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but they believed you could do that back in the day. So that, we will leave that alone. But maybe his parents did. There's some kind of identity of sin underneath this guy's condition. And so all of the community, as they would pass by him begging, one of two things would happen. Someone would have compassion and actually give him some alms or they'd spit on him. That was the common response. No, no, listen to our Lord and Savior. These things happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. If you're walking in here this morning with a past, you're sitting next to somebody with a past. I guarantee it. If you're walking in here this morning with a past and you're wondering if there's anything that can be done about that past, I want you to hear that that past can be redeemed so that the glory of God and the goodness of God can be on display in your life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Check out what God is gonna do with this guy's life. I want you to see it. Church, I've said it before. I'm gonna say it again. Your past and your pain can either be the enemy's greatest tool to defeat you with, or it can be the greatest tool our Lord Jesus uses to unleash you with, to let you go, to let people see his display, his splendor in your life. It just depends on which altar you're going to put your past on. You're going to put it on the altar of Jesus. You got to surrender it either way. But are you going to surrender that past to a risen savior or are you going to surrender it to the enemy of your soul? He's going to try to destroy and break you with it. Look at what happens. Look at what happens next. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing all that we could see ourselves in this story, friends. I want you to enter into this moment. This dude's blind, okay? This guy doesn't have the power of sight. So I can see to the back of this room. I have a community, I have a connectivity to the distance of my vision. It's a gift of sight. This guy doesn't have that. This guy's personal space is small. This, this guy's zone is right here. This guy's, this guy's space that nobody ever comes into is, is a tactile space. You see what I'm saying? You feel me? This guy's, this guy's area that, that, that is his closest intimate is within distance of his touch and maybe the ability to hear. And he's just, he's just heard the voice in front of him. He's just heard that voice debating up the hill at the temple and, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good. It was kind of a fight. And that voice is all of a sudden in front of him. And he's not sure what's going to happen. I want you to know when you come into, when, you, when Jesus rather comes into your presence, comes into your life, comes into your proximity, he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop at an arm's length. He gets into your soul. He does things for you that help you see him more clearly. 
He touches the space of our heart with himself, unique to your story, just like this blind guy. Imagine this moment. They're arguing about me as a theological conundrum. That's been most of my life, decades. Yep, I'm blind. Yep, it had something to do with sin. I don't know. I just know everybody despises me for the most part. And and the disciples, they want to see me as a clinical object. But wait, the other voice, the other voice just said, and now there's this, this pause. I got my eyes closed like a blind person, but if I was blind, I'd want to peek. I believe Jesus was a man's man. This wasn't a... This was like a red man. Think about it. How much saliva do you need to actually make mud with dirt? You need your spit can. It's gross. It's dirty. It's grimy. It's messy. It's tactile. Because Jesus is not stopping at an arm's length. He's climbing into the blind man's existence. Dirt. Spit. The nastiest things you can imagine. I'm, I'm coming right into that. <sighs> And then, like the squishy in in the mud. Smack, smack. I'm a little weird about germs. I don't like it when my kids touch my face with clean hands. You know what I'm saying? Jesus enters into this moment wholly and completely and he says to him, go and wash off what I just put on you as a covering. Here's the deal. This guy's got to walk as a blind man. He's got to make it a half a mile uphill to the pool of Siloam in the busiest festival of the year bumping into people the whole way, apologizing, looking like a freak from a horror movie. (laughs) Saliva and mud dripping down his face. People are, oh, get kicking, move like he would have been the most visible uphill billboard and, and bastion of Jesus' grace as he's moving up to the pool of sin. Can you imagine all the people that are taking note of what's happening with the blind man? And he gets up there and he gets in the pool. He hasn't even, Jesus didn't even tell him that he was going to heal him. If you notice, he didn't say you're going you're gonna to be healed of your blindness. He just said, go. Here's what you need to hear in the story. Every time that Jesus enters into our existence, every time that we have an encounter with him, there will be a step of obedience that you have to take as a follower for that healing to happen. For you to actually activate the, the restorative power of Jesus in your life, you've got to do something in response to that encounter. 
every single time. And this blind guy, he, he doesn't know. He's just, there's a spark of hope. This nut job just put something in my eyes. Of course I want to go wash it off. I wish I could go a little less far than the pool of scent, but he said, go to the pool of scent. I'm going to do it. He goes, and for the first time in his existence, light penetrates his eyes. Are you seeing yourself in the story? Am I seeing myself in the story? Our spiritual blindness can be healed by the Savior when we do what he says to do, when we listen to him, when we follow in his footsteps, he will give us sight where we have been spiritually blind. Look at this. It moves on after he sees. Verse eight says this. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? They're, they're baffled. Guys, your Jesus story is gonna cause surprise in people. Your encounter, even after you've known him for a while, when something significantly changes, your encounter with Jesus is gonna cause all the people around you to have some kind of surprise. Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. <laughs> yep, the blind kid that grew, these are his neighbors that grew up just down the block, three houses down. We saw him all the time. We paid attention to him as the blind kid and that was it. He couldn't see. Do you know how often we as a church choose to, to believe something bizarre, something that doesn't take or something that actually takes more faith than believing that Jesus actually can enact a miracle in our lives. So very often we choose to believe something that takes more faith than just saying when God shows up, miraculous things start to happen. Here we are. No, he's an impersonator. The blind guy paid somebody to come pretend that they could see for him out of his beggar's earnings. Yeah. <laughs> what? You see, when you start telling your story, it challenges the presuppositions. It challenges the constructs. It causes people to sit up and take note and have to do something with what Jesus is doing in you Amen. when you start telling your story. But he himself insisted, I am the man. <laughs> And, and we have to sometimes do that. I, I, I was this way. I met a guy named Jesus and I'm starting to be this way. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. You paid an impersonator. I, I'm telling you, I met, I was this way. I met Jesus. I'm starting to be this way. I, I am. I am who he says I am. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Listen, listen to me, church. Listen to me. He's starting to tell his story. I was blind. And you'll see that he's pretty insistent on this story. I was blind. I met a guy. They call Jesus. You follow? He, he's not, they call him Jesus. 
They call him. I, he, I met him and now I can see. I met a, I met a guy here and this is how I used to be. And he's, he's, tr- he's beginning to put his story together. Listen to it again. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked. I don't know. I really can't tell you much other than what happened to me. That's significant for our stories, church, especially when those stories are first beginning to happen inside of us. I was blind. I met Jesus and now I can see. Listen, I was angry. I was full of anger and bitterness and hurt and brokenness. I met a guy named Jesus. He started telling me some things. I started hearing some things from him. I did what he said and now I'm starting to be filled with peace. I'm starting to experience his hope. I'm starting to act differently towards people who used to make me angry. I'm starting to behave the way this Jesus said to behave. I'm starting to experience him in my life. I used to be lustful. I used to be a liar. I used to be a deceiver. I I, I met a guy named Jesus and now I'm starting to speak the truth into people around me. Now I'm starting to be different. I I, I can't tell you all the details. I I don't know all the theology, but I can tell you about the experience that I had with Jesus. Are are you feeling me, church? This is our testimony. These are our baptism stories. Yeah. I was thinking about this this week in, uh, (laughs) I love German sweet chocolate cake. (laughs) Sorry. 90 degree angle here in the message. (laughs) Bear with me. Okay. When, When I was a kid, And I don't like a lot of cakes, so you need to know that coming into it. I love German sweet chocolate cake. Okay, any German sweet chocolate cake fans in here? We have one. No, we have two. There's a few. The rest of you, something's wrong with you, but we'll be okay with that today. I would watch my grandma make cake. And I think I was just trying to put it together in my head. I really do. As a, as a small child, I'm watching her put these gross and disgusting ingredients inside this, this bowl. And she's, she's communicating to me that it's going to be a good thing. But I'm watching her put raw eggs in a bowl. Right. Nobody eats raw eggs unless you're a bodybuilder and there's something wrong with your head. <laughs> As a kid, raw eggs, like she's putting disgusting raw eggs in the bowl. And she, you know, and she's, you know, as a child, think with me as a child, like that doesn't make any sense. Why you put something disgusting in there? Tell me it's going to come out tasting good. Or how about flour? You ever see somebody walk over to their cupboard, open their cupboard up? Hmm, what should I have snack today? You know, I think I'll have flour, this nasty dry powder. stuff. I'll just take a handful and... Oh, that's so good. I got some water. Give me some water, please. Or butter. Butter. I've been waiting all day just to sit down, open me up a little bit of butter. Big old butter. When I said this last night, there was like three people over here. Oh, I do that. I, I eat butter. It's gross. It's gross. I'm here to tell you, 
That's disgusting. Anyway, all these nasty, disgusting ingredients that she would put inside this bowl. And come on, people. Those of you who grew up in like a rural farming community, you know what happens next. She start working these, these, these ingredients that I'm like, oh, disgusting. And she's working them. And there's magic in her ability to put those ingredients together. And she get it all done. And she pour it in these cake, uh, these cake pans. And then there'd be a little bit left over inside the bowl. And you know what happens next right you know what she do what would she do she hand us the ladle in the bowl and and i was a little kid i'm like i'm not touching that thing that's disgusting but the the other kids were wise to it already and they take it and they, they lick it and they try it and their faces i remember the first time like okay i'll try i use my finger I mean, explosion inside my head. <laughs> That's delicious. That's spectacular. How did you do that, Grandma? <laughs> Love. Guys, it, it, if you're hearing me, if you're hearing me, I don't have to preach as long. <laughs> Romans 8.28 tells us that God takes our bitter, disgusting, raw, wretched ingredients. When we submit them to him, when we surrender those to the great masterpiece maker, he takes them, he puts them in a bowl of your life and he starts whipping those things and he starts working those things and he starts making something extraordinary out of those things for his glory and for your good. If you are about his good purposes, this is God's story of redemption to us. Give me the stuff you don't think anything could be done with it nothing the wreck of your life let me put it inside of what i can do let me let me tell you i got out of the tomb so i could get into the emptiness of your tomb and i could fill it up with good things if you will embrace me if you will take these steps if you will follow me with your life and your heart i can make things that will shock you with it i'm telling you i challenge you to go home go into the places of your anxiety go into the pr- places of your depression go into the room Uh, uh, that your kids play in that's an absolute disaster area and just start doing this. God, in Jesus' name, I just, I want you to, to do something. I want you to work and he will work every single time. He will work when we lay our lives down and say, we can't do it anymore. You, you make a masterpiece out of this mess. Amen. He will. goes on the, the, you know the neighbors don't know what to do so they, they bring him to church <laughs> this problem guy this problem situation we're going to take the problem to the, to the religious leaders they'll know what to do these ones didn't sometimes that's the case listen to what happens here they, they brought to the Pharisee the man who had been blind Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed. And now I see I was blind. I met Jesus and now I see. I was this, I met Jesus, and now I see. Hey, hey, anybody around here want to check? I'm going to stick with my story because I don't know any other story. 
Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now this is significant. This is significant. We're gonna go all the way back to the spit and the dirt. Jesus is a master strategist and he chose this blind man to actually be one who would put on display the works of God, just like he will choose you and your uniqueness and your story and the places that need him. And he will put that on display. He chose the blind man, not just for the blind man, but for all to see around him. See, here's the thing. You could not mix anything or need, need like you would need bread. You could not do that on the Sabbath or you were breaking the law, the man-made rules of the day. So what is Jesus doing? He's not only performing a healing, he's performing a healing that's gonna go right in the face of the religious leaders of the day to challenge their presupposition and to say, what is more important in this context? This man's life, this man's soul, this man's eternity, or your man-made rules. Jesus will show up in your life every day and he'll break the rules, my friends. He'll break them for you and for your soul. And this is on display because this guy is going to move forward and be questioned by the religious leaders of the day. He's gonna have an audience. He's gonna have people that he is talking to at the highest levels of their society. And Jesus, I'm gonna mix on the Sabbath. I'm gonna make my miracles happen on the Sabbath so that this challenges the Pharisees and the religious leaders about what's most important. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Now here's what you need to know about the blind man and his response. The man replied, he is a prophet. See, his story's developing. And and, and the reality is when you begin to tell your story and you begin to tell people who Jesus is, there is no better way to deepen your relationship with Jesus than to help other people discover theirs. There's no better way. It'll catapult, it'll strengthen. That tension will put pressure on the muscles of your faith and they will make those faith muscles grow. And so here we are in this scenario. The, the, the blind guy has heard their debate. He's heard them arguing about needing on the Sabbath and healing on the Sabbath. And he's aware from some of the scuttlebutt and some of the whispering that the only person allowed to heal on the Sabbath was a prophet. By their law. Uh, This blind guy's mental acuity is all over the place. He's a prophet. Because you you can't get a prophet in trouble for healing on the Sabbath. But 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 he's he's not wrong. Jesus was brought, but he's not all right either, is he? It keeps going. We're gonna skip... Uh, the section where they bring his parents in. Here's what they do. They're like, okay, well, let's get his parents in here. Let's get this answer about whether he really is the blind guy. Let's get that handled. And so they bring him in. We're gonna skip all that. We're gonna go to verse 24. It says a second time. The, the, The first time that he came to the Pharisees, we're gonna call that just an inquiry. We're just inquiring. We're just examining the case. That's all. The second time is an interrogation, friends. 
A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. And all I want to say right there is this presupposition of truth. This is like saying, put your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. But we want to make sure it's the truth that we think is the truth. This is CNN and Fox News, my friends. Our truth. Make sure that you swear to tell our truth. The blind guy's like, uh, mm -mm, no, no. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, I met Jesus, and now I see. Listen, here's, here's something I wanna make clear as we begin to wrap up. In this story, it is critically important for us to recognize that telling people what Jesus did in your life is always going to take people deeper. It's going to help scaffold their understanding and it's going to share who Jesus is, God's works on display. Better, better than telling people who Jesus is. Amen. See, here, here's the thing. Some of you, are not ready to tell people who Jesus is. Your, your relationship with him hasn't grown. Your study and understanding of him, you're not yet at a place where it's good for you to talk about who Jesus is, but every single one of us can tell people what Jesus did for us. Amen. You see? And so he sticks with his story, even in the teeth of the interrogation. He says, I am going to tell people what he did. That is where the meat is. That is where the money is. That's going to help people more than anything else. I, I'm feeling drawn to him deeper and deeper, even as I tell the story. I've had one encounter with him. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. What do you want to hear? Or do you want to hear it again? This is like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard lately. <laughs> I've told you already. Did you not listen? What do you want to hear it again? No, we don't want to hear it again. <laughs> he says, do you want to become his disciples too? And there's just one word there and it's two. Do you pick it up in the story? Because he's telling the story of what Jesus has done. Because of the pressure, because of the pushback, he's now at a place with no further interaction with Jesus except the encounter. He is at a place where he's like, I'm gonna go be Jesus' disciple. You, you guys can join me if you want, but I, I am going to be a disciple. Do you want to become his disciples too? He's made a decision. The blind guy's made a decision. He's, he's gonna follow Jesus. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. I don't know what kind of religious leaders you guys are. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Look at the theology that is developed in this guy. 
He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Hey, 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 we're back. I was blind. I was disgusting. I was filthy. I met Jesus and now I see. After I met Jesus, he cleaned me. After I met Jesus, he made me new. Guys, I'm just gonna bring you back to the story of Jesus. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This is as to say, I have now moved to a place where I believe that the man I met and couldn't even see was the son of God. And he healed me. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Here's, here's for us as a church and then we're gonna do baptisms. It is really, really easy to get skeptical of other people's story of Jesus' scandalous grace in their life. There's an edge somewhere and I feel it because the more that you get to know Jesus, the more you comprehend and academically understand about who Jesus is, sometimes that can create a distance and a pride and a superiority can seep in and we don't like to deal with the disgusting part of people's stories anymore. And I want you to know as a church, this church is committed in our cultural DNA to be wowed, impressed, mesmerized by the miraculous work of what Jesus does in people's stories. When we experience baptisms here in just a second, I want you to know we celebrate the extraordinary miracle of spiritually blind eyes, of wreckage, of brokenness, of destruction in people's lives. This encounter with the risen Savior because if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. And this change that is happening in people's lives in this story, let us take note that our role as the church is to join and be a part of what Jesus is doing in each other's lives and not to tear down and not to push back and not to say, well, I was a little bit uncomfortable with that part of their story when they were talking about suicide. I just don't know if that should have been publicly talked about. Shut your mouth. We're gonna be like Jesus as a church. We're gonna get into the mud. We're gonna get into the muck. We're gonna get into the grind. We're not holding people at arm's length. We're gonna get gritty. We're gonna get dirty. We're gonna get messy so that hearts can be made clean. Jay's coming up and we're gonna do baptisms. Um, And I'm gonna pray. And I just want all of you to prepare your hearts as we pray to celebrate what's about to happen, what you're about to see, okay? God, thank you so very much for this story. Thank you for the way that you change lives. Thank you for the way that you've changed the five lives that we're gonna see, that your works are gonna be on display for us to see this morning. We are so grateful for what you are doing in our lives. And God, let that what you are doing compel us to know the who of you more every single day. We long for deeper relationship and deeper experience. 
So for every heart here, may we take one step closer to you in the stories we hear. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.